believe in karma, but I'm going to change course here because last week we opened the podcast with It's Rutgers Week. Here are all the terrible reasons why you can tell. And then promptly I got very sick. So now as I am recovering, I'm going to say the following. This week is going to be fantastic. Nebraska is a wonderful opponent for Penn State. And I'm going to have the most terrific week just as everyone else should. It's, it's going to be warm too. Yes, it's going that. to be yeah. so warm and yeah. healthy. And welcome to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Andrew Callahan and John Fitz after a 35-6 to Penn State win over Rutgers on homecoming weekend, snapped a two-game losing streak for the Lions, and it was freezing. It was cold out, and at the end of the day, I think we, you know, obviously Penn State had a win, but a lot of cold, hard truths to go along with it. You did not listen to James Franklin. You did not approach the podcast last week as if it were any other podcast, and it carried over into the game. I mean, that first quarter, you were off your game, so was Penn State, and that was it ugly first quarter man that's probably about as bad as a, of a first quarter as we've seen since the Michigan game last year I mean that was just awful that might be true but I'm going to stick with the positive theme here at least for as long as I can uh so we are going to go to defense first and after we recap the game of course we got game balls to hand out recruiting updates we're actually going to get a men's basketball mention they just tipped off their season predict the presser everyone's favorite segment and then get into Nebraska no mailbag though this week because we had the addition of men's basketball and um I, I forgot to ask for questions. So, <laughs> moving on. Uh, positivity. Defense. Six <laughs> points. That fulfilled my prediction for the game that Rutgers would not top uh, nine. And, you know, they have not scored a touchdown on Penn State since 2014. So, terrific game. But, you know what? Largely expected. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had 45-6 to six in my prediction as well. So, I mean, that, that offense wasn't scaring anybody. And it's funny because you can see the strides that Rutgers has made as a program, uh, you know, on both sides of the ball. But they're still – they've got so far to go. Go. I mean, that's the, the talent pool that they're drawing from uh, is just terrible. I mean, positive here, please. Talk. I can't be positive. I just watch <laughs> Rutgers. They maximize their they potential. They maximize their potential. Chris, Chris Ash is doing a better job than people will give him credit for. And uh, sorry, they won't win the Big Ten, as we mentioned last week. Yes. It's a possibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Penn State's defense the last three quarters really locked them down. I mean, of course, you, you started with the, 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 the pop up kick uh, that, that Rutgers jumped on much like they did last year but the defense held firm there you know didn't let them in the end zone at all uh a credit to the second team defense they kept them out of the end zone at the end of the game as well so uh, i think there was a lot uh, more to draw from this game positive from the defensive side of the ball than the offense and here is the telling stat of the day from the 11 15 mark of the second quarter until that final drive which you can file completely under garbage time right Rutgers had zero first downs. So you're talking essentially three entire quarters where they were not able to move the chains once. You know, that speaks a lot to how Penn State was able to play them heads up. It's also the limitations of their pass game. I mean, you can be as positive as sunshine and rainbows as you want, but when you go 7 of 20 through the air for 43 yards, that's a passing game that is, you know, arguably the worst in the entire country. Penn State was able to take advantage of that. You know, Gus Edwards and company had over 100 yards on the ground after the first half, but a lot of that stemmed from missed tackles. And, you know, I talked about this in Tale of the Tape, but basically the two drives that they had that each went 14 plays, one at the very end, then one of the second quarter, they survived on missed tackles. So when Penn State did its job, even just to an average level, they were fine. Yeah, bad missed tackles, a couple of those two. Uh, I remember had one right in the hole. He just just completely whiffed. And uh, some other guys had some as well. And don't mean to single out Jason or anything like that but no that was his only missed tackle he played he played a pretty good game 
overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just one of those things where Penn state, that, that noon kick got him, I guess, uh, coming off the hangover from the two losses. I don't know, but they, they, they looked awful, but man, they, to their credit, I don't know if it was adjustments. I don't know if it was just them realizing they, you know, they could do what they wanted to do because they weren't worried about getting beat deep or, or, or getting beat on the outside or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, the, the defense, uh, really sharpened itself up in the last couple of quarters. And, uh, that, that stat is, is pretty telling. I mean, no first downs. I mean, that's a, that's the, remember the Titans, they don't gain another yard type stuff. I mean, that was, that was yeah. pretty phenomenal. Two other guys I want to point out before we move on to offense, Sharif Miller, he had played 27 consecutive drives heading into this game. Then he played eight and then his streak ended at 35 consecutive possessions that he had played. So congrats to Sharif that he is still standing and is still with us because that is astounding. That's Only 50% of defensive snaps against Rutgers after 80 against Michigan State and Ohio State. Moving on from Sharif, uh, Brandon Smith gets a start. Manny Bowen suspended for a violation of team rules. It's unclear whether Manny will be back for the final kickoff next Saturday against uh, Nebraska and then, of course, Maryland and perhaps a bowl game. You know, this cropped up on Wednesday when Smith said that he had learned. But for a guy who had not practiced at the will, and again, the Mike and Will are similar positions. They're both in the box basically on every play. You know, a lot of credit to him. Ten tackles um, and, and was really, you know, you could see the instincts that, that really are the foundation of his game. Yeah, Smith is a guy that you, you, I think if you plug him in there, you expect some sort of production. And he's been solid throughout his career. Um, he did practice at will. Uh, we saw him in the preseason practicing there beside Cabinda. Um, so he, he's got a little bit of experience there. I mean, he's a smart kid. He, he can play anywhere or any of those two positions. Um, it, it was kind of interesting that he was not in the middle. Um, you know, Cabinda, of course, that's his spot. Cabinda came from the will if you remember correctly i think two years ago he moved inside but um it doesn't really matter i mean the, the the will and the mic fairly interchangeable in that situation but yeah credit to brandon smith um you know he's a he's a local favorite facebook favorite or whatnot um but yeah he, he, you got to tip your hat to him and feel good about that i mean he's a fifth year senior he's probably not playing as much as he thought he would coming no. back this year um but when he's been in there he's been he's been pretty good the other part about having Brandon Smith in there as a second Mike linebacker is the communication when Rutgers is trading and shifting as much as they were, particularly with the tight ends, you need to move your front accordingly. Because when you have such a strength of two guys going from one end of the line of scrimmage to the opposite one, you need to get everyone on the line moving with them. So that didn't happen early in the first or second quarter. You could see Rutgers take advantage on a couple of runs, of course, not severely. But, you know, Brandon knows what calls Jason's about to make because he's played that same position, made those same calls. So having two of them out there who are seeing the same things, able to echo the call that Jason did, I think helped them out in the first half. Then they got rolling and it was smooth. But um, real credit to him. Don't know, if again, if he'll be back in that same spot against Nebraska. But they they really didn't miss a beat without Manny Bone. Offensively, uh, they're still missing many beats on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. That run game, it's no surprise, or excuse me, no secret that, you know, Penn State – can't block anybody up front. Still couldn't against Rutgers, the second worst rush defense in the Big Ten. Um, it, it, it was ugly, man. I mean, it, there's times when, you know, and you, you've broken it all down, tail the tape and everything like that. But if you can't block the guy in front of you, and, and that extends to the tight end as well, if you can't block those guys, you're not going anywhere. And it's – you never want to be – you know, critical without reason, right? And you shouldn't be heaping praise in the same vein w- without having reason. Have you have so. you ever been on Twitter.com? <laughs> no, that's exactly where I'm going because, okay. I, you know, I'll, I'll break down and explain, as you said, exactly as, as I see it, which isn't to say I'm 100% right. No one is all the time. But 
when you look at this offensive line and the schemes are varied and the instances in which they're running the ball are changed up and the results are the same and the only constant is the personnel, that's really where the issue is. I'm not here to say that the staff is blameless, but it just astounds me when I try to explain this. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. It might be stupid, but it's yours. That... They're faulted, the staff is, for generating one-on-one block opportunities. And some people want to use schemes wherein you don't have to block at all. I mean, I don't know what else to say. This all comes back to that offensive line. And I think it's the steps that, you know, Chaz Wright necessarily hasn't taken so far this season. Brendan Mann, very steady there. Steven Gonzalez, again, we've talked about him in the podcast. I actually think he's gotten too much flack recently, which I think I mentioned on Friday. But but the bottom line is, you know, they, they shifted their back alignment against Rutgers. They were in the pistol. They had Barkley come in motion from the slot from outside. They flipped him from left to right just before the snap. That's all to done to disguise where they're going to go with the ball, which might have been a little bit more obvious against Ohio State Michigan State. It was against Rutgers and against a lesser opponent, as you said. They were still the same results. Trace outrushes him 44-35, to 35, and you're talking about the most dynamic player in the country. Yeah, and it's, and it's really interesting because we've gotten those comments where it's the same play over and over and over again, which it, it, it's not. I mean, you, you mentioned the... This, the um, the formation shifts and the pistol and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and they're trying different things. It doesn't really look like it, but they're trying different things to get him in, in position to, to do so. He's just not getting time to get outside. He's not uh, having any room inside whatsoever. So, I mean, that's just a factor. I mean, you can't, if you, if you can't stop that wave coming at you at first, I mean, you're, you're not going to. And, and, and Trace, I think made some tremendous reads on that defense yes. this week. Um, and it was, you know, it was probably all the difference in the running game. It really was. And again, you, you want to talk about the same play dynamic, which you never want to give too much credit to voices that really don't have any you know, significance or, or worth to them. But I go back to the teletape after Michigan State. You look at that first half. They knew how Michigan State was going to handle them in their base run, which is an inside zone. So they put their three technique right across from Barkley, which makes it more difficult because on the other side of the line is a nose tackle. So Penn State ran seven of its eight plays in the first half when Barkley got the ball. Were, were not inside zone. They were other things designed to attack the opposite side of the line of scrimmage, and they didn't have any success. You know, So they got back to what they did in the second half against the Spartans, but changed it up and had a little bit more disguise, and that's where their success came from because they were only really great at running that base play and some counters off of it, but the counters just have not been working. They didn't against Rutgers. You really wonder where Saquon season is going. And honestly, we can speed this up a little bit now and look ahead because, you know, they're going to be big time favorites against Nebraska, big time favorites against Maryland. And he was asked this post game, have you given any thought to potentially sitting out a bowl game um, or, you know, where you might be in terms of your decision with the NFL? Of course, he declined. It's smart. It's expected. But if I'm him and you're looking at the line up front where you just have nowhere to go, I would absolutely sit out the ball. Yeah, I I think you're right on there. I mean, it, it it I think it would help Penn State in the long run. To be honest with you, um, you know, you want to see Barkley out there as much as possible. He's a special talent. Uh, you're not going to see that too often, um, you know, in college football, let alone at Penn State. So you'd like to see him out there. But I, I agree, man. And and he sounds frustrated. I mean, he's he's not going to admit it. He's not that kid that comes out and says he wants more touches or he wants you know them to change something to happen. But he's frustrated. I mean, you saw it in the post game. Um, he's going to talk around it just because that. That's who he is, but you know it's it, it's got to be weighing on him just to to see his Heisman campaign sort of go up in smoke. And I still think he'll get to New York, you know, based off that first half of the season. But to see that go just go away, uh, it's it, it's kind of you know it's kind of heartbreaking to watch because I don't want to say he's been mismanaged or anything like that, but it's, it's certainly his potential has not been maximized, and a lot of it's probably to that offensive line. 
Right. And that's really the bottom line. So there, there's not much more reason to go on about that. I, I don't think he cares so much about the Heisman personally, but it definitely is frustrating because the biggest problem they've had is the negative plays, which James has said, I don't know how many weeks in a row they limited them against Rutgers, but still not able to create enough room. And again, it goes to, okay, well, what's the constant been throughout all these struggles? It's not been scheme. You know, maybe early on that was not helping them out as it, as it should have been. And they were perhaps a little bit predictable, but they have enough counters and they know what they're doing from that standpoint. Um, but Barkley still has not been able to get going now special teams quick shout out here uh Blake Gilligan still very very good three yeah. touchbacks five boom punts and uh you know kind of steady eddy of the team yeah oh both punters the other day oh, very good I mean they, the, the Rutgers punter and you mentioned that last dude's week had in, some practice until the tape uh, I know you do the advanced punter metrics or whatnot but <laughs> one time man but yeah both punters were very good Gilligan man he's just got a booming leg he can put it where he needs to i think it you know if, if you're getting them to catch fair catches you know i think at the five and the six i mean you're doing something right because because they, they know what kind of english you can put on it they know you know how you can turn that into a potential worse situation for them so um all the credit in the word to blake gillikin i think uh, you know he's both your and i special teams player of the week so i hate to spoil it going ahead but oh, i'm jumping like three segments ahead here oh my goodness um <laughs> yeah, i know everybody's keeping track at home on their predictive or homemade scorecards um, we had uh it's our good friend Celt starting to predict the podcast, and he went 0 for 1 because he thought that I would uh, start out by saying I nailed my Tommy Stevens prediction, which now is the time to say, I nailed my Tommy Stevens prediction. Triple or nothing. Way to go. Three snaps from a man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. About including it. the kneel down. Like or? I said on the boards, listen, you bat 333, you're going to the Hall of Fame. That's exactly <laughs> what I've done here. So start making my bust. You are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you're, 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 who's your guy? Your game ball. Gilligan's getting your uh, special teams player of the week. I'm going to go with Brandon Smith. I think he stepped into a difficult situation. I was going. You got had a half a week to to prepare for it. He's a guy that's you know been in that situation before, where he's come in and and replaced an injured or suspended linebacker and 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 produced pretty well. So I think it's grading on a curve. I know you have Trace. I don't even have to look at the sheet um, because Trace deserves it. But I'll go with Brandon Smith. He deserves a special mention here. Um, to use your words, you are terrible. <laughs> now, I have nothing else to say. Yes, I had Trace, but yeah, 16 to 21 for 214 yards, three total touchdowns, outrushes Saquon Barkley on the ground, 44 yards to 35. You know, he was a reason the offense was clicking, and he had a better connection, too. We forgot to mention this earlier, Juwan Johnson. I mean, he had a terrible performance, two catches and about six or seven targets at Michigan State. He bumps up, leads the team in catches, targets, and receiving yards against Rutgers, and it's good to see because, again, where he's in a position at the X receiver, he's not very often in different round combinations. You know, unless it's two by two and he's with the same side as Mike Kosicki, he's got to win one-on-one. He hasn't been, but but he did against the Knights and it showed. Yeah, he moved the chains. Uh, that's the big thing, obviously. You'd like to see him get in the end zone based off of, you know, the preseason hype and everything like that. I, I asked him after the game, you know, where where do you think he's, he's, where does he stand based off the expectations that were set from him? And that's not just media. I mean, Josh Gaddis had oh, some the whole team. huge things to say about him. The team, James Franklin as well. Um, and, you know, he said he thinks he's he's right. He's getting there. I mean, he's not he's not there yet by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think we've seen the the big big plays that we can come to expect from him. But I think you know, granted it's Rutgers, but I think that he he showed some really good things on Saturday. Um, it, it, it's one of those things where he's going to continue to mature. He can be a dominant receiver. I think he's still learning how to do that. I think he's still catching up to the game. Okay, Cruton, what you got? 
Uh, not much. I mean, it was a very uh, thinly attended game this weekend. Method Man was there uh, yeah. as a recruit. Uh, well, his, his son is a <laughs> 2020 athlete, Raekwon Smith out of Curtis in Staten Island, uh, New York. But uh, yeah, Meth- Method Man was there. Um, Smith camped for Penn State last year. Of course, Method Man was there as well. So that was pretty cool to see on the sideline, especially for a game that... Did you say you what's know, up? I did not say what's up. I, uh, I did not flash the Wu-Tang sign or anything like that. He probably wouldn't have recognized me. But, uh, no, I mean, he, we got some photos of him on the site. Uh, check it out. But, uh, no, it was a lightly attended game. Um, Jaron Mangum was a four-star kid in from, from Cast Tech, and, which is one of the top talent producers in the country, um, uh, a running back from out there. No offer for him yet. Um, Mike Wyman, 2020 receiver, was up from from North Carolina. Um, a couple other guys. Um, I'm sort of spacing on it because if you look at who was there, I mean, uh, Zach Koontz, Dan, uh, Daniel George was uh, Daniel George oh, also George. made it up. So um, if you look at visitors for the game, uh, not a lot, but you can look forward to a little bit more this week. A couple of official visitors scheduled to come in. Um, uh, Jason Owe will be in. Solomon Enos will be in as official visitors. I think that four o'clock start is a big deal um, based on where kids are at in their seasons. Um, you can take a little bit more time in the mornings. It, you know, some some of these schools may have film. Some of these schools may be wrapped up with their playoffs already. Yeah. Um, so it gives an opportunity for them to get there and, and settle in, see a little bit more of the atmosphere, which is always good. And you know, uh, four o'clock in November is a quasi night game. I mean, it's it's going to be dark really by the f- end of the first quarter, pretty much. Um, so that'll be a, uh, hopefully a good atmosphere. Um, of course, with the fall break, you never know how the student section is going to go. But uh, it, it's another opportunity. Nebraska, it, you know, regardless of how bad they are on the field, and they got thumped this weekend again by, by Minnesota. Jump in more segments. It's it's more. We're not talking about Nebraska. We're talking about the opportunity for the atmosphere because Nebraska, in name at least, is a is a prime opponent. So, well, two other things come to my mind first: Senior Night, right, and Stripe Out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's one of those uh, not gimmicks, but but it's one of those opportunities where you can get to at least manufacture a little bit of atmosphere. And you know, it's going to be cold. It's I mean, it might be rainy. I don't know. I haven't looked at the the uh, forecast since this morning, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to have the opportunity to get more kids on campus to to see what to see what it's like and sort of get a last impression before you move into the off season. That's been important for for Penn State over the last couple of years. Uh, to get these kids in for the Michigan State game, or well, I think the Wisconsin game was a couple of years ago, and getting the underclassmen in before you get into junior day season, they're not going to host a junior day until January, February. So this is your last big impression for the fall. Um, you know, you, of course, you're trying to make him make uh, 2018 kids show up for the officials in December or whatnot, but this is the last great impression. I, I look back, uh, I think it was 2008, 2009, and there was a Michigan State game. Um, I think it was actually the Michigan State game that Penn State uh, clinched a trip to the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, you had a ton of kids there that were two classes ahead or one class ahead. Um, of course, the the calendar is a little bit more sped up now than it was, but just the number of guys that they had at that last game carry over into the 2010 class, which was you know Silas Red and Kyrie Fort and all those guys that you, you, some of you guys don't want to hear about. Uh, that last impression that they had on them was a big one that carried through through the next offseason and really helped them out. So this is the thing when, when you're talking about senior day, when you're talking about getting guys in for your last home game, you can, you know, you can do that. You can leave a lasting impression. It'll help you out in February when you're trying to get these guys to, to commit. 
You mentioned the weather. Uh, we are still obviously five, six days out from this, but I have it handy now. And I'm curious how this might affect some of those visits because I don't think you want to be standing on the sidelines if it's 20-degree winds and a good chance of a couple of snow showers. I'm not sure what a 20-degree wind is, but that sounds terrifying. 20, yes, <laughs> at the end of the week. Yeah. Uh, 20 mile an hour wind. Yeah, uh, it's not ideal, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of these guys can, you know, uh, gear up at least. Uh, a lot of the guys that are coming in, Pennsylvania guys, Northeast guys. So I don't think you want to bring kids up from Florida for this game or anything like that. But Judge Culpepper, please stay home. <laughs> Judge Judge will be up in December for his official visit. He's an early enrollee, so he's going to have to deal with it sooner or later, whether he likes it or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's too bad. I think that when you get into the situations where weather affects it, it's more travel than anything. So there's snow showers coming through or, you know, you get a couple of inches somewhere, it's going to keep kids at home. But for the most part, kids have handled it well. Now, they, they will probably come in at halftime and maybe not go back out for the second and half, watch it in the recruiting lounge, uh, get a little food, watch it on TV. So, you know, that's an added perk, I guess you could call it. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't see weather being a huge factor unless the kids can't make it. And then that's obviously where it comes in. Be interesting. Yeah. Solomon Enos uh, coming in from Arizona for yes. his official visit. So yeah, uh, bring a jacket, buddy. Right. <laughs> He'll be well taken care of though on the official. Um, well, you can give them gear. I mean, you, yeah. when you're unofficial, you can right. you can give them gear, which they return. And that's something where when you see these guys, uh, even on unofficials now, um, you can see these guys in these big Penn State parkas or whatnot. They give them back um, at the end of the trip or the end of when they need it. But you can now uh, – and this wasn't the case years ago um, – but now you can give them uh, clothing to withstand the elements. So if it's cold out, you can give them a jacket, which is – I mean – Common sense. Let's, yes. let's be honest. Yeah, especially for a weekend like this. Right. Um, three segments to go. Pretty compressor. Nebraska will wrap up with. In the meantime, men's basketball season has started. Tipped off Friday night. Uh, had to hold off Campbell a couple of times down the stretch, but they had a couple of players foul out. We, we won't do a whole lot of men's basketball discussion until it's the only sport going, and that won't be until about mid-January or so. But, you know, it's it's a really important season for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, I was happy enough to be able to do a, a really long-form, in-depth piece on Tony Carr. Really, really good, good center point. Really yeah. good. Thank you. I, I got halfway through it. It was really good. <laughs> really, really good. Um <laughs> And, you know, again, for them, 2-0, beat Campbell, fairly Dickinson, wins that are expected. You could say the same for games, Montana and Columbia this week. Where it gets interesting is not this Monday, but next, where they're going to be in Brooklyn for a couple of days. They're going to take on Pitt at the Barclays Center, and then the winner or loser, depending on which they do against Pitt, um, of Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. Now, this is big because their non-conference schedule is pretty soft. They'll have a trip to NC State that will follow shortly thereafter, and a couple of Big Ten games at the beginning of December because the Big Ten schedule expanded. So it's a very big season. If you didn't already know that, you probably don't have much interest in the program as is, but you got a coach in the hot seat, You know the most talented roster he's had since he's been here. And, you know, the games have never been bigger. But I think unlike a year ago, when you're starting three freshmen and then they're going through the growing pains, those are pretty much put to the side. Not to say they're not going to make stupid mistakes. Again, Lamar Stevens fouls out on Friday. But, you know, there's there's more depth here. There, there's more reliability and consistency. And, you know, even when I'm not there, again, with the merger we just had with Scout, Mark Grennan will be there. Very consistent coverage, long time. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the season. Also there, Mike Watkins uh, returned on Sunday night, 15 points. Uh, just uh, such a big presence. And if you've ever walked beside him, you know that because he's <laughs> freaking huge. Uh, but but just having him in there is, is a completely different team in my eyes. I mean, Watkins is a guy that can really change. You know, he can alter shots. And he doesn't even have to 
get a hand on him. He can alter shots in the paint. If he stays out of foul trouble, you know, they're, they're a much more dangerous team. And, um, you know, he, 15 points on Sunday night. Uh, so having him in there is completely different. Yeah, because they, you know, I just mentioned the depth. They don't have a whole lot of depth in the interior. Satchel Pierce is uh, in there now as a transfer from Virginia Tech who sat out a year ago. Julian Moore, who's, you know, very familiar now in his fifth season. But you could see the difference between Watkins Sunday night against Fairleigh Dickinson and then on Friday because on Friday they gave up almost 40 points in the paint to Campbell. Now, Campbell had the nation's leading scorer. It was actually a lot of fun. His name's Chris Clemens. Um, but but that aside, again, Watkins does so much from a, you know, a defensive perspective and is really the center of that defense. But you, you're going to need, you know, protectors in the outside of Tony Carl, Lamar Stevens, and Jamari Wheeler, freshman guard. He, he is probably the one reason I'm most excited about this season, just in terms of most interesting players to watch. He comes out of Florida, really tough kid, you know, not, not too big, but he's very strong, already one of the strongest players on the team, pound for bound. And that goes, you know, in terms of, I think he's got the fourth highest bench on the team, um, but really tough, really quick. And I think he's only going to grow fast because of the approach to the game. So it should be good. Yeah. They've got some athletes on this team. And yeah. I think that's, you know, not refined, you know, everybody's going to look for the refined seven footer or whatever. And or or the the guy on the wing, to Penn State. They, yeah, they're not coming to Penn State right now. So, um, but they've got some athletes. They've got some some things to work with. Uh, shot forty eight percent from the field on Sunday night. So you know that's that's something that is always an issue for Penn State. So uh, I think they're going in the right direction. This tournament coming up, or mini tournament, or whatever you want to call it, is going to be huge for them in the sense of quality. You know, potential quality wins, but at the same time, I mean, getting against that competition to to, to finish out your your non con or start up your non con or whatever. Um, it's uh, it's certainly going to be fun to watch, and you know it's just more fun when you're playing a team that you've heard of. So. Yeah, and aside of you know we're going to wrap this up soon, but but Pitt, not only is there that in-state rivalry aspect to it, but a year ago. They were blown out in the first half, made a big comeback in the second, ultimately fell short, one of the uglier games I've seen. But it was, you know, again, something that I feel like when they're going into Monday's game, again, not today, but next week, there's going to be a little bit of an edge because they'll feel like they threw that away to an extent. Um, and last year they played in Newark. It'll be different now, the Barclays Center. And then Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, whoever they get on the other side on Tuesday is going to be a great test. Now, you mentioned 48% success rate shooting from the floor against Fairleigh Dickinson. I am slipping back to 48% and predict the press. And this is bad news because I tied you up a week ago. You recently went ahead. So you are up 17 to 16. But this week I get a chance to retake the lead because after a win, that means predicting three players of the game and an additional prediction. So since you went 1-0 and last week, uh, what do you have? for Tuesday when we see James? I, I have uh, Blake Gillikin, my special teams player of the week, which I know is going to be yours too. The kid's a stud. I mean, Trying uh, to protect your lead here? Trying to protect my lead, of course. Um, <laughs> but here's where we differ. Uh, I have Jason Cabinda, and he put up the numbers. Of course, uh, you know, he's, he's been up and down, and, and, you know, he wasn't always in position on Saturday, but still had a, a solid all-around game. I know I gave the game ball to Brandon Smith, but I'm going to go with Cabinda on this one. And then offensively, I went with Juwan Johnson. I mean, I know Trace is the obvious uh, you know, target smart and, choice. You know, the smart choice, which you're going to pick, I'm sure, obviously. Um, but uh, you know, I, th- I thought Juwan made some strides. He made some big catches. He's just such a big target, and it, it, it's you know, I think it can really pay off uh, down the stretch into the bowl game as a guy that they can transition to because you're not going to have Deshaun Hamilton forever. Mm-hmm. A guy that you can transition to to make those catches, and you know, he, he, if he steps up his game and from a consistency standpoint, I mean, he's a, he's a special talent. Right. Okay. So you have James naming Juwan John. To Jason Cabinda and Blake Gillick and as his players or the staff's nominated players of the week. Um, what is your separate prediction for what James will say Tuesday looking ahead to senior night 
Nebraska, all that. Well, it's senior night, um, so obviously he's. I think he's going to point out those seniors. I'm be interested to in see if he points out Saquon as well, because you know it's sort of the elephant in the room. But uh, with the seniors, he always gets back into. You think about where the program was when these guys got here, and that's my quote. I mean, okay. I, I think he's going to go with that. You think about where the, the program was when these guys these guys got here. I can tell you this: uh, it wasn't everybody bitching about a potential ten and two season like we're doing right yes. now. I mean, well, let's, not, not us, but well, not. Us, but everybody else bitching about a ten and two season. <laughs> Sorry, um, but Make no, it sounds I mean, like they're peasants. Everyone you, else you just, beneath us. You just look at where the expectations are now, and that's why it's so hard to handle them being eight and two right now. Um, so, just where Penn State was when these guys came in, and and, and you look at the guys that came in. I mean, this, this wasn't a great class by any stretch of the imagination, but they were severely handcuffed by sanctions at the time. And some of these guys, I mean, well, was a great class in retrospect. Well, in retrospect, yes. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, you weren't going to pull in a top fifteen class or whatnot just because the numbers involved and all that kind of stuff. So, and a lot of these guys, or and some of these guys, you know, Brandon Smith was part of that giant walk on class in twenty thirteen. He got a red shirt a red shirt year underneath him. So, uh, Brendan Mann struggled early in his career. You know, really turned the corner as well. So, um, it's just it, it's been fun to watch these guys. And I, obviously, I cover these guys. Uh, you know, from when they're sophomores and juniors in, in high school all the way up through seniors in college. So it's great to see that transition. But where the program is now to where the, when they joined it, I mean, it's just such a leap. And I think you know James is he'll jump at at, at pointing that out. Okay, uh, my players of the week. It'll be Trace, Brandon Smith, because I think him getting that late notice on Wednesday of, hey, you're going to need to start, not only start, but at the will where you haven't practiced since August, I think will carry a lot of weight. Then I'll go with Blake Gillikin to round that out. And then my separate prediction for Tuesday's press conference will be just talking about the leadership of this class. Because when you look at the captains on this team, and typically your captains are going to be seniors, yes. But a guy like Jason Kabinda, Marcus Allen, Grant Haley, who were added on as extra captains. And what they've done, not only in their positions. I mean, you look in each of those rooms with the linebackers and safeties in the corners. There's no doubt as to who's commanding that room. And it's a credit not only to their abilities on the field, but also their personalities and how they're able to handle younger players. Each of them work one-on-one with some of the younger guys in the team right now. And they're just all over the place. So that's something we had heard in the offseason so much. The chemistry is better. The leadership's there. They're deeper in that respect. And I think it's really going to come full circle now when it's time for them to move on. He'll give a highlight to that leadership. And when we reconvene in a week, I will be ahead of you in Predict the Presser. Cool, man. Yeah. Cool story. Thanks, guy. All right. Nebraska. Nebraska. So what? Florida is out of coach. Tennessee is now out of coach. How, how long until Nebraska? <laughs> um, uh <laughs> After this game, perhaps? It's very possible. I mean... Oh, no, I'll say after the regular season. They'll, they'll let him play out. You know what was... Uh, and we didn't take mailbag questions this week because you forgot to ask, but somebody asked me about... Yeah, segments. Some, yeah. yeah, someone asked me about the early signing period. Does that mean you want to see coaching changes or, or you want to get on the ball with coaching changes? Not that I think it changes a whole lot, but this... I mean, we're a month away from the... the or I guess about five weeks away from the, the early signing period um, in December. So that, that I think, definitely has to play into it. I mean, you want to get these guys out if they're going to get out, and, and you get that's a decision that you've probably already made. So you get these guys out as soon as possible. You're not waiting until, you know, December when the Heisman comes out or whatnot to get these guys out of there. And 
because these guys got to bring guys in for official visits. Uh, they've probably got guys that they're committed to the school where they're at right now. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it does play uh, a role. And I think that's something you have to think about when you're th- talking coaching changes, whether that's Nebraska this week or next week, I think it's inevitable. I mean, they've lost four or five. Um, what the one, one win was against Purdue, uh, one yeah, point, one point, Purdue. 25, 24, um, going com- in a completely different direction, but this br- came to mind when you mentioned getting guys out in Tennessee a couple of minutes ago. Butch Jones telling recruits, go find a different place on his way out of town. That seems extremely uncommon to me. What do you make of that coach recently fired in the class he's bringing in saying head elsewhere? It's uncommon, it's unprofessional, and it's it's a clown move, basically. I mean, that that that's something you don't do. Um, you know, it, there, there have been coaches that have gotten out before. Then, I mean... You got to you, you you take the high road and you say you got to do what's best for you. This is a school that's paid you a lot of money to coach football and now not coach and now, football and now not coach football as well. So to do that is a slap in the face of the University of Tennessee. And if I'm an athletic director and I hear that, I don't want to hire Butch Jones. Um, granted, just watching him this this fall, I don't want to hire <laughs> Butch Jones. I know he's he's a good coach. He's done it before. I mean, there's no question. They're about very it. talented. Yes. But, I mean, it's just – that's a slap in the face to everybody at Tennessee. And he doesn't owe anybody at Tennessee anything, you know, per se. But, man, they lined your pockets for a long time. That's a clown move right there. So You just won yourself podcaster of the week. Because that was the hottest take I think I've heard in the history of the pop. John, that was great. John Gruden would have, wouldn't have done that. Okay. <laughs> those rumors some more. Yes. Um, okay. Rumors. Back to Nebraska. You said lost four out of five. Yes, their only win was one point over Purdue. They've given up 30 points on five different occasions, just got run over by Minnesota last weekend. For all intents and purposes, this seems like a game where Penn State should be able to do the same. Of course, you know, by that same logic, you would assume that with Saquon Barkley, he'd be running over teams himself. They have not. Um, when you, We'll get more into the nitty-gritty of Nebraska, but for now, here are the things to note. Defensively, they do not get sacks. They do not produce tackles for loss in the run game. You know, they're not uh, holding teams at back that are explosive or efficient. They're bad in obvious passing situations. Decent in standard downs, meaning, you know, again, of course, they've got, you know, no situation dictating run or pass like your first and ten, second and seven. Um, and, and they're decent throwing with Tanner Lee, who's got 17 touchdowns, 13 picks. You know, their strength is going to be there in case they break off a big play. But, again, this is a team, when you look at it, it's going to have a new coaching change. They're, you know, kind of play a softer style defensively, another odd front. Penn State just prepared for one in Rutgers. I think that helps them. And it's an uncommon opponent, but just like Rutgers, this is Nebraska week in name only. This is another game where it's all about Penn State. Yeah, absolutely. And how many yards did they give up to Minnesota last week on the ground? They're still counting, so that'll tell you. <laughs> Correct answer, 409, actually. So, um, but, uh, no, I mean, this is this is a bad Nebraska team. They're falling apart. Uh, you know, uh, they could be dangerous, but I don't see that. I mean, you you, you ride back to that cliche about, a, you know, a rat in the corner or whatever, but uh, I don't think that Nebraska has the punch to do so, especially on the is road. Is a rat or a dog? Uh, you know, it depends on what uh, section of the country you're in, I think. So, um, you know, New England may have been dog. I went with rat. I don't know. Anyway, um, I just 
fell off the rails there. <laughs> I was um, going to say, cliches are cliches because everyone knows them. Yeah, well, that's an animal in a corner. Um, get, get <laughs> a wounded one, usually, yes, too. A wounded one, yes. Um, but Nebraska... For a wounded cat. I don't think that would <laughs> fly over too well. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nebraska, very bad team. Um, and I went over to their board. Um, of course, the, the, the 4 o'clock start uh, came out last night that came from the Nebraska side. So I went over and checked out with Mike Schaefer, Mike Brunts at, uh, you know, at, at, at our Nebraska site. I mean, you were they're, still they are, apart. they're defeatist. I mean, they were talking about four touchdown Penn State being a four touchdown favorite. I mean, it's just it's bad over there right now. And that's that's not a good football team. Penn State should be able to, um, you know, have their way with Nebraska. And, and you hope that uh, translates to some confidence up front uh, running game. I think Saquon is 101 yards away from a thousand for the season. So, um, you know, you, you'd like to see the wheels turn. And I mean, senior day, senior day can be fun. I mean, you can, you can put up a lot of points on senior day. We've seen Penn State do it before. And, you know, you'd like to see that this weekend. Okay. Nebraska's only played two games against ranked opponents. These were both a month ago, Wisconsin at home, then ranked number nine, 38 to 17 loss the week after again number nine Ohio State 56 to 14 so Penn State of course in that range right now we'll, we'll learn the college football playoff rankings tomorrow but they're 11 and 13 for the coaches in AP poll and you know we, we mentioned it's it's a it's a bad team and a bad spot their big 10 wins are 27 17 over Rutgers congrats you know 28 to 6 at Illinois in late September Congrats, and then 25-24 at Purdue. Um, that Illinois game may be their best win. That's that's saying something. Yeah, yeah. you look at Arkansas State is uh, the win in non-conference, and then losses at Oregon and then versus Northern Illinois. It's, uh, Actually, it's not been pretty the seven-point loss at Oregon may have been their best win. So, um, 54 points Seven to point loss and Oregon was their best. Win. It might've been yeah, 54 <laughs> points to Minnesota, which does not happen to Minnesota is not a high scoring team. And they're obviously a running team. A so lot of rowing. that, that is a lot of rowing. Um, but yeah, uh, Nebraska's actually won the, the last four in this series, which surprised me. Yeah, that's um, true. Going back to 2003, of course, Penn State had the big win in 2002 at Beaver Stadium, but um, they've only played four times since then. The 2013 game, I believe, uh, um, was not the – or was that the Matt Lehman game? I, I don't remember. 23-20 final. Here's – that might have been a good predictive presser uh, – choice now that i think about it you know what that was the overtime game uh at beaver stadium the year before was the matt layman game that people will uh quickly point out i'm not sure if you're familiar with the history of that fumble touchdown whatever um at nebraska but uh yeah it's a it's two storied programs um i think one on the rise or at least flying high right now one's gonna have a coaching change in a few weeks so we'll see how that uh, plays out okay as much smack we've talked about nebraska uh, as I said at the open, this is going to be a great week. This is going to be a healthy week. I will not be going to bed before 11 o'clock at any point because we are all going to do very well. And uh, hopefully, you know, the end of the season has just been as strong as it was. I feel like we've had for us personally on the podcast or at the site, again, with the recent merger, things have been going really well. Uh, we appreciate you listening, following. You know, we, we've said this plenty of times, but if you can find us on iTunes, rate, review, let us know. We'd always welcome that feedback. But if anything has to do with uh, not asking mailbag questions, I'm aware that was <laughs> that'll happen. Um, but yeah, we'll check back with you on Friday. Penn State, Nebraska, final home game of 2017, probable final home game for Saquon Barkley, and most certainly for a foundational senior class for the program turnaround. So four o'clock kick, and we will see you the day before. Baby, we were born.